Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Monday. It is August 7th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortellaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll take your phone calls today. 1030-1115-602-260-1060. Reaction to uh, it being official the changes around college football with the Pac-12 landscape, Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten for 2024, ASU, U of A, Utah joining Colorado to the Big 12 for 2024, the Arizona Diamondbacks, Arizona Cardinals around the NFL, you name it, 602-260-1060. We'll also be joined by J.C. Allen to talk Tampa Bay Buccaneers with us at 10.15 a.m. There is a few changes in Tampa Bay, <laughs> who's going to be the starting quarterback, etc. We'll dive into all of that with JC around 1015. But let's get things started here with the poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Bob had a conversation. Dave Zangaro, NBC Sports Philadelphia, talking Eagles in the 9 o'clock hour. And if you missed it, podcast over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS1060 app. But the question here, the defending NFC champion Eagles in 2023, over 10.5 wins or under 10.5 wins and under out in front, 61% of the vote over trailing at 39%. Obviously, uh, if people kind of casually look, they have a tough schedule, as you would expect. First place schedule, needless to say. Uh, But they have a couple of stretches that are really difficult. Uh, So we'll get to that a little more later on in the show. Uh, But, of course, they were 16-4 and last season. That concluded with that loss in the Super Bowl to the Chiefs. They they seemed like they were, I wouldn't say necessarily in control, but it seemed like that they were, you know, the upper hand, at least, and they got outscored 17-8 in the fourth quarter of that game and lost 38-35 in Glendale. Uh, so we'll see how they react to that. Uh, we'll answer that question around 11.30. Still time for you to cast your vote. Flipping it on over to Twitter, and as you'd expect, it's a Tampa Bay Buccaneers over-under win total question. Over-under 6.5 for the Bucks. under 6.5, 71.4% of the vote. Over sitting at 28.6%. This is on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Tom Brady, I'm pretty sure, is retired. Where would he go? At this point, he's not going back to Tampa. I know he owns part of the Raiders. I don't think he wants any part of that team as a player at this point. He'd get killed because the offensive line isn't good. Uh, so I don't think he's going to come back. But, uh, you know, the quarterback situation, Kyle Trask was just on SportsCenter a few moments ago. So I don't know if that's a, a spoiler alert or a prediction from uh, ESPN, or I think he was just probably available to the media today because Mayfield was on, I know, last few days with a few other places. So I guess it's just kind of a uh, we're going to pick and choose our quarterback availability uh, from the uh, Tampa Bay PR staff. Uh, so we'll see what happens. 
This division, I think everybody realizes, is bad. No team finished above 500 in uh, 2022. My favorite, I don't know if this is even a stat, but my, my favorite thing about this division heading into this year is that no starting quarterback in week one last year is projected to be the starting quarterback in week one this year. And we will talk to J.C. Allen around uh, 10.15 right here on KDOS AM 1060. It's cruel right now, though, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. It was a 5-3 to three loss on Sunday. Zach Allen got the start, seven innings, four hits, two runs, two walks, eight strikeouts, no home runs on 97 pitches. Christian Walker hit a home run to put the Diamondbacks on top, 3-2 in the top of the ninth. It was time for new closer Paul Seawald. He had the chance to get his first save in a deep Banks uniform. He gave up a solo shot to Max Kepler, who tied it up, and then Matt uh, Walmer hit a two-run shot for the Twins to walk it off. Yeah, I'm sure that people want to just you know go crazy about the Seawald situation, uh, but uh, yeah, they've now lost 27 of their last 29. Or excuse me, 22 of their last 29 games. That's the worst record in baseball over that span. And you know, yesterday. Uh, this should have never come down to the ninth inning. The Diamondbacks actually uh, had t- plenty of opportunities. They had 17 base runners in the game. They stole a uh, you know franchise record nine, uh, eight bases, excuse me, eight bases, and they still scored just three runs. That's because they were terrible again with runners in scoring position. Two out of 11. They left 12 runners on base. It should have never come down to the bottom of the ninth. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned there here, they're now just one game above 500 at 57 and 56. They were swept by the Twins. They've lost six in a row and eight of the last 10 games. In fact, they have an off day today, but the team is welcoming in the Dodgers for two games, followed by the Padres for three. Uh, I know you have mentioned this here before, so uh, we might be concluding it all with the NFC West race involving the Diamondbacks, which you have the Dodgers at 64 and 46 out in front. The Giants 61 and 51, four games back. The Diamondbacks 57 and 56, now eight and a half games back. And the Padres 55 and 57, 10 games back. Uh, I quit including the National League West standings in the sports zone last week. Uh, if anybody still thinks the Diamondbacks are, you know, playoff bound, it's going to have to be through the wild card. Now, the good news for the Diamondbacks this weekend is that most of the wild card quote contenders uh, didn't do well. Over the weekend, everybody, except for the Cubs, for the most part, seems to be staggering to the finish line here. Uh, the Cubs might even win the division because you know, Milwaukee, even though they did get uh, Brandon Woodruff back yesterday, that should help Milwaukee. The Reds have lost six in a row. For the third time this season, the Reds have lost six in a row. And uh, they have, I think, the worst manager in baseball, but that's been going on since about five minutes after David Bell became the Reds' manager. So the National League here, the Braves uh, out in front, 70 and 39, the Dodgers 64 and 46, the Brewers 60 and 53. In that wild card post, you have the Phillies at 61 and 51, the Giants at 61 and 51, and then the Cubs 58 and 54. Then when you talk about uh, on the outside knocking on the door, the Reds at 59 and uh, 55, then the Marlins at 58 and 55, a half game back, and the Diamondbacks 57 and 56, one and a half game back and all three of those last teams you mentioned they're all lost their weekend series so not good there um needless to say uh 
It'd be nice. You know, first up, there's going to be a couple teams that make the National League playoffs that have no business making the National League play or any playoffs. Uh, if they were, you know, these teams were battling the American League, it'd be you know, we wouldn't be having a, any discussion of these teams even have a postseason chance. But they're look, luckily for them, they're in the National League. Uh, speaking of the National League, so the Dodgers uh, wrap up their series against the Padres today. It's going to be Tony Gonsolin against Seth Lugo. Gonsolin, 6-4, and 4.11 ERA, 71 strikeouts. Seth Lugo, 4-5, and 3.54 ERA, 88 strikeouts. If you go back to Sunday, Lance Lynn tossed a winner for the Dodgers. Six innings, four hits, one run, two walks, six strikeouts, and one home run given up. Yeah, Lynn's won both of his starts now for the Dodgers after he was bad from the majority of the season for the White Sox. That Dodger magic once again working when they acquire players. Ahmad Rosario hit a home run last night. He was terrible in Cleveland this year. Now he's actually been productive in his first few days with the Dodgers. The Dodgers are 31-7 and in their last 38 regular season games against the Padres. Uh, as I mentioned in the last hour, and I've mentioned for seemingly weeks, maybe even months, I'm just astonished that smart baseball people keep telling me that, boy, the Padres, they're a dangerous team. They suck. I'm sorry. Uh, there's a reason they lose one-run games. There's a reason that they've lost every extra inning game they've played this year is because they're just not good. They don't hit with runners in scoring position. Uh, they are just a, they're a bad baseball team, but once again, they're in a situation where people in the National League they got you know there's you know, they're going to change the rules and they should, but I'm just kidding, sort on that. You know, three teams have to make the wild card in the National League, and you know they're still officially in the running. But uh, if anybody actually thinks they can do anything in the postseason, they're just going to be bad for four, five, six months, and then all of a sudden they're a dangerous team in the postseason. I heard this last night on the Sunday night broadcast on ESPN. While they're getting their asses kicked by the Dodgers, they're down 6 nothing in that game, and they're telling me they're a dangerous team in the postseason. Uh, Justin Verlander's return to the Astros. It was a 3-1 loss, though, to the Yankees. Verlander, seven innings, seven hits, two runs, two walks, four strikeouts, one home run. But the Astros' bats managed just two hits and 16 strikeouts uh, against five different Yankees pitchers. He wasn't well. Uh, he had a blister problem. They apparently used some Velcro or some kind of super glue or something to put the, his finger back together so he could finish. Uh, at least pitch a few more innings, but it was clearly, uh, you know, clear in that first part of that game that uh, he wasn't right. Uh, so we'll know uh, more about him. I'm guessing in the next few days here, leading up to his next scheduled start with the Houston. Uh, something's wrong with the Astros. I've been, you know, all, all, all you know, obviously a big you know, advocate of them last year. Immediate, almost, you know, immediately early in the season. And uh, you know, once I came back from my medical leave, I think one of my first comments was the Astros are going to, they're the best team. And they were the best team. They have a lot of the same players. They've had, unfortunately for them, several injuries this year from position players and rotation players and bullpen people, et cetera. And I thought, okay, they get healthy, they're going to just roll everybody or they're going to be the best team, at least in the American League again. They've gotten a lot of those guys back, and they're just still kind of staggering along here. And then, you know, splitting the four-game series against the Yankees is not exactly a feather in their cap.
Uh, when it comes to happenings in the American League, you have the Orioles 70 and 42, the Rangers 66 and 46, the Twins 59 and 54. Then looking at the wild card, the Rays 68 and 46, the Astros 69 and or I'm sorry 64 and 49, Blue Jays 63 and 50. And then on the outside looking in right now, the Mariners two and a half games back, the Yankees four and a half games back, and the Red Sox five games back. Mariners are playing better than any of these teams, but they just played the Angels, so why wouldn't they be playing well? But the Mariners have actually been playing well for like 20 games before they swept the four-game series at Anaheim. How's that trade deadline decision working out for the Angels as they just include their you know almost decade-long stretch of just ignorance? Uh, and this is the latest example. You know, two of those teams you mentioned had bad injuries. Uh, you know, one bad injury and one maybe concerning in injury on Sunday. Uh, Josh Young, uh, who is certainly a candidate to win the American League Rookie of the Year, the starting third baseman for the Rangers, broke uh, his left thumb yesterday. He's out for a while, obviously. Wouldn't shock me if he's done for the season. Depends on how bad the break is, etc. But that's a really tough blow for them. He's been tremendous, not just offensively. He's a really good third baseman. I don't watch much college baseball, but he was so good in college at Texas Tech that I actually knew who he was. Uh, so there's that. And also the Jays, excuse me, the Rays, the Rays, Tampa Bay, um, they had another starting pitching injury. Uh, Tyler Glass now is about the last guy standing there. It wasn't standing yesterday because he was scratched from his scheduled start because of uh, back spasms and back issues. And last time we had a back issue with uh, Tampa Bay, it was McClanahan. That has now turned into a uh, more of a serious injury on a different part of his body uh, with uh, the shoulder injury. And uh, unfortunately, McClanahan may be headed for Tommy John surgery. Uh, he has his appointment schedule, or maybe we already had with Neil Alatrosh, who's one of the foremost Tommy John surgeons. J.C. Allen time from PewterReport.com as we chat all things Buccaneers on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Buccaneers talk. It's coming up next after the break. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's an NFC South conversation and we get things started with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as we pop on out to the KDOS hotline. Joined by JC Allen from PewterReport.com. JC, as always, we appreciate the time. It's Bob and Kayla. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. We got a football game this Friday. 
training camp in full swing. Football's back. What more can you ask for? Good point there. Uh, First of all, I want to start with here the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, no Tom Brady. Uh, So what have you noticed about how camp feels different without Tom for the last couple of years? Has anything Tom brought to camps previously, style, attentiveness, has any of that carried over to this year's camp without him? Or is it Tom Brady's gone and and we're doing new things uh, differently now? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of energy in the building um, that wasn't there. And that's not to say Tom didn't bring energy, but the new offensive coordinator that they brought in, uh, Dave Canales from Seattle, he's a very positive, upbeat guy. And you can just tell there, there's a lot of excitement around the offense he's bringing. It's a more updated offense, uh, as you guys know, uh, with B.A. And, and Byron being there in Arizona. Um, the offense that they were running is kind of a little bit old school antiquated compared to the new style of offenses that are running around uh, in the league. So there's definitely a lot of energy guys. Um, you know, they're, they're itching to make a name for themselves as the Buccaneers, you know, the last couple of years. And don't get me wrong, guys, are definitely grateful for the time with Tom. have definitely carried over some of the things they've learned with Tom. But it was Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, right? And Tom is gone, and now this team is looking to establish an identity for themselves. Um, they feel like they have a lot of good pieces in, in tap still. Uh, sure, they did lose Tom, which is the greatest football of all, football player of all time, which is a big loss. But they still feel really good about the situation and the players and the staff they have there in place. Um, and you can feel that energy, the new energy in the building. And it's, it's definitely been a little bit of a different of a field training camp for sure, um, but in a positive way, not a negative one. Now the quarterback uh, position is between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. I actually just saw Trask on SportsCenter here a few minutes ago. Has either Mayfield or Trask stood out in, like, I guess almost two weeks of training camp? You know, I think when you look at this competition, and that's what it really is, this competition, what offensive coordinator Dave Canales is bringing is the same thing he brought in Seattle when he had Drew Locke and Geno Smith going wire to wire. And so, pretty much, you know, that last preseason game before they announced the starter. Um, it's bringing the best out of both of these guys. And you're seeing, obviously, Baker Mayfield with the experience of a 60-game start. has brought him to the playoffs, um, you know, set the rookie record for touchdowns when he, when he came into the league. Um, but he had dealt with some injuries. And get this, uh, Todd Bowles is his eighth head coach and Dave Canales is his seventh offensive coordinator in the short five years that he's been in the league. So he's had to overcome wow. a lot. <laughs> So they're both learning a new system, picking it up pretty well. Um, Kyle Trask, no experience other than some garbage minutes last year in the season finale against the uh, Atlanta Falcons. So he's really just kind of getting his feet wet, um, really limited reps throughout his career with Tom Brady there and playing Gabbard as the number two. So he's really shown a lot of improvement as far as decisiveness, as far as getting the ball up. He's slimmed down a bit, and he's actually – you know, the, the note on Trask coming out was he's more of a pocket passer. He's actually doing these boots and waggles and, and really kind of getting out there, showing off some athleticism that, you know, quite frankly, I didn't know that he possessed. So um, I, it's been back and forth right now. Baker has thrown more interceptions than Trask. It's been a, about a 7-8 to 2 ratio for Baker and Trask. But, you know, we don't get to watch the practice film. We don't know the plays being called. And, one of the things that's really cool is they're doing because Dave Canales is the first-time offensive coordinator, first-time play caller. Uh, Todd Bolt is running these call-it-live periods where they're literally calling the defense and the offensive live. Um, and it's helping the guys get updated and up to speed in the playbook. It's giving uh, Dave Canales reps. And, and, again, we don't know what they're calling there, 
So how much of it of these interceptions are, you know, while the receivers being in the wrong place, him taking chances because it is practice, or just bad decisions, not really sure. But I would say that the competition's definitely tightened up. I still think it's Baker's job to lose or to win, whichever way you want to look at it. But um, so far, I think the Bucks, if they can get one of these guys to be a game manager, point guard type player to direct the offense and limit turnovers, I think they'll be in a good spot. J.C. Allen, pewterreport.com, having a conversation with us here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When it comes to Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, I can throw in Russell Gage, too. They're all still on the team at the wide receiver position. Has it been business as usual for these players or, uh, you know, for them as well, trying to learn a new system and get acclimated to a new quarterback? I'll say this, and this is, again, no knock on the previous years, but this is the most energized I've seen Mike Evans in a long time. He has just been an absolute dominant force in training camp so far. Um, the cool thing about this new offense is that it's not going to just be best on best squad and beat your man. They're going to be moving these guys a lot. Mike's going to be in the squad. He's going to be on the opposite side of the field. They're moving him all around. Um, and you can see, you know, that extra pep in his step. He's, he's not facing as many double teams working out of the slot, which, you know, as if you've heard him recently in his quotes, you know, he takes himself over anybody, and no one other than Devontae Adams has really seen as many double teams as he has. So for him to be able to get loosened up in this offense and be in different positions to make plays, I haven't seen Mike Evans look this good in a long time as far as this dominant training camp. Chris Darwin is in a position where he's going to go out and cheat, I think. You know, last year coming up, uh, a torn ACL, um, wasn't 100%, had to work his way through 100% of the season. Still ended up with over 100 catches. I think that's likely for him again this year, potentially leading the team in yards as well. They're going to use him on the outside a lot more. Russell Gage was banged up last year a lot, dealing with a hamstring. He started off missing the first three game, uh, three practices. Since he's been back, he's looked, you know, uncomfortable at points. I'm um, just working out of the slot and the outside. There's going to be a lot of movement with these wide receivers, which is going to put them in, in great position. And last year, you got 50 catches. For uh, a little over 400 yards and five touchdowns from Russell Gage after missing some time and not being 100%. So if you can get anywhere near that or even tack on a you know, couple extra receptions, extra yards and a touchdown or two, I think you're going to be in a really good position with your three wide receivers. I really like what they have with the bottom of the roster, too, with a bunch of young guys, depth guys, who um, you know are making their name for themselves so far in training camp. You know, Trey Palmer, Devin Tompkins, and Rakeem Jarrett. So. I think they really like the veterans at the top and the rookies at the, and the young guys at the bottom to round out that roster. Arizona State alum Rashad White appears to be the man of running back. What are your expectations for him this year? Yeah, he's looked really good. Uh, he's looked really good. Um, Matt Forte-esque, I'll say. Um, just being able to wow. do a lot of the things as a runner. Uh, offensive coordinator Dave Nellis has raved about him, about his ability his rushing ability to feel natural in any type of run fit they're throwing at him. Um, I, I think that, you know, bearing an injury or anything like that, I can definitely see him up over 1,000 yards um, in the receiving game, probably around 500, 500 yards, if not more. Um, I think he's going to be a uh, dual threat back to his pass protection, has certainly picked up over the offseason as well, something that he worked on. He's a three-down back. Now, I don't know if they'll utilize him as a three-down back just to kind of preserve him and keep him fresh, but it's definitely something he can do. I'm expecting a big year out of Rashad White, and uh, he looked really, uh, at the quote Dave Canales, 
natural in this offense, and you can just see the way he moves and the way he has patience, vision, and, and that burst of speed he can possess. J.C. Allen, PewterReport.com here on KDOS AM 1060. I know it's just training camp practices, and we'll know more in the preseason and to the start of the season, but you mentioned offensive coordinator Dave Canales here. His background mostly, most recently helping Geno Smith in Seattle. Uh, you know, have you learned anything about his style, and is it kind of going to be able to put uh, these offensive playmakers who have been good for some time back in positions to excel, kind of helping out the offensive line as well. You know, what can we maybe expect uh, from a Dave Canales uh, offense here with Tampa Bay? Yeah, a lot of movement. I think you saw last year what they did in Seattle um, and what they've been doing around the league. It's kind of that Shanahan, McVay, copycat offensive style. Um, It's very player-friendly on offense. So it's quarterback-friendly to get the ball out quick, get these guys, the wide receivers, in a position where they can make a play and get open, separate, be able to, to make quick catches and then turn them upfield for that extra yards after the catch for running backs. Um, and the offensive line as well, you're not necessarily dropping back 60 times a game, which is what they did a lot. It's a lot of horizontal movement around uh, on the offensive linemen, getting guys to move one way and then for the running back cutting it back the other way to get a big game. Um, so I, the tight ends are heavily involved. Last year, the tight ends in uh, Seattle had over combined had over 100 catches, 2,000 yard receivers. Um, I think Kenneth Walker had over 1,000 yards rushing last year as a rookie. And, and I think this offensive line here that they have in Tampa is certainly better than anything we've had over the years in Seattle. We've all heard the complaints coming from Russ and the murmurs around the league uh, about the offensive line they they built in Seattle. So I think. Um, this offense is going to be able to put these players in, in a good position to go out there and execute um, and, and move the ball in a positive way. So, you know, that and the energy he brings, the excitement that he brings, have certainly rubbed off. I'm actually working on a piece right now. Pretty much every offensive player that we've asked is, has just had growing reviews. And same thing with head coach Bob Bowles about the energy, about the excitement, about the, um, the offense is very friendly to everyone's kind of skill set on that team. So this kind of leads into my next topic a little bit here. You know, they, they've, the Buccaneers have had, you know, solid, strong offensive line play on both sides of the ball in most recent seasons until last year when the offensive line obviously had tons of injuries really from the start of camp. What are you expecting from the offense and defensive lines this season? Yeah, so Ryan Jensen is still yet to participate in 11 on 11 practices uh, he's out there doing team drills and they'll do the walkthroughs but when it comes to live you know 11 on 11 action he hasn't been out there and i think that's just a, a way of kind of easing him back into it i mean he had uh, a very huge injury that he was able to miraculously make it back to the playoff game uh, but you want to take it slow with him but i think he's not going to skip a beat um he brings that enforcer level out there trisha works is a big move right moving from right tackle where he was an all pro to left tackle and to be honest, he's been extremely smooth and fluid out there. If you didn't know he wasn't a left tackle his whole career, you probably wouldn't have known it. But, um, you know, he, he's looked really good. They brought in Matt Filer over from the Chargers. Big body. One big thing that stands out uh, about this offensive line, these are all really big guys. But they're big guys who can move, um, and, and they've got good athleticism to them. The right side's a question mark, and I, I can see where a lot of people are kind of like, well, what's going on over there? They've got Cody Moss, who they drafted in the second round, former left tackle um, at North Dakota State, making his move over to right guard, which is, as we know, opposite side of the line and a position switch from the outside to the inside. 
Um, so far, the Buccaneers have been thrilled with what they've seen out of him. Um, he's had some instances where he's gotten beat, as most rookies will, you know, getting caught up. When when you get beat of a lining up against across from you, you know, he can give you some tips. So he's had some struggles a little bit here and there, just kind of getting it. For the most part, he's held his own um, as a rookie starter, making that transition. And then Luke Jedicke, their second-round pick last year, who was a right tackle in college, made the move to left guard, struggled a little bit early on, got replaced midseason, finally came back at the end of the game and had to start a game at right tackle. And, uh, you know, it was one of his best games of, of, of the season. They decided to move him back to right tackle. And he's looked really good, too. He's one of the strongest guys on the team. Um, the biggest thing and most interesting thing is they, they haven't rotated anybody out. Um, they said, these are our five guys. We want to bring the chemistry and build that camaraderie between them into the season. So, you know, they've had some struggles. They've had some up and downs. But at the same time, I think the Buccaneers are really pleased with where they're at. Uh, they're improving on a daily basis. They're getting better. It is probably the biggest question mark on on the offensive line and, and one of the biggest question marks on the team right now, along with a few other ones. Um, but so far, I think it's in a better place than where many people thought it might be. J.C. Allen, PeterReport.com right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point, talking all things Buccaneers. Flipping this on over to the defensive side of the ball, at the linebacker positions, you still have Devin White, you still have Levante David, you still have Shaq Barrett. Uh, But overall, as a whole, with this defense, is there a good mix of older and younger talent to stay competitive on the field, or how do you assess where this defense is at? Yeah, so I think the defense, it definitely infused a lot of defensive talent on this team, starting going back to last year's draft with Logan Hall and Zion McCollum, uh, their defensive lineman in the second round, and then their fifth-round pick cornerback, Zion McCollum. Um, on the defensive line, you got Vita Bay, who's coming off an incredible season, six-and-a-half fast. He hasn't missed him. He'd actually cut his hair, so he probably added a little bit of speed to his to his game there. Um, and then Kalaja Kansu was their first-round pick this year. Unfortunately, suffered a calf strain, but looks like he'll be good to go for week one. Um, and the noticeable difference with him is his speed, his ability to split double teams again in the backfield. That's been super noticeable before his injury, and I think that's going to be a, a huge factor with him, Peter Bay and Logan, Logan Hall on the line. They have a couple other guys that brought great games from, from the Rams in here who has shown surprising good athleticism. He'll be a backup, and they brought Will Goldstein back. So they've got a good complement of young guys and old guys on that, on that defensive line. The linebackers, you mentioned Devin White. He's back. He spoke in the media today, kind of put the trade request in behind him. They're ready to just kind of go out there and ball out. He's been working on his, his drop backs and coverage. And, you know, he's looked really fluid. He had a really big practice the other day with two sacks. Levante David is the most underrated linebacker probably in the league right now, and steady as they come. Jack Barrett, surprisingly, after tearing his Achilles, came back for the first day of practice and has looked pretty good in pads. Still hasn't lost that speed that, you know, you worry about with Achilles tears. He's still showing that. Joe Tryon-Trink is in a big year. Um, he's essentially in a contract here in his fourth year because, you know, you want to – he's got the fifth-year option, but if they don't see the jump in his third year, they're not going to pick that up. So he's, he knows what's at stake. He knows what he needs to do, and he's looked pretty good as well. A couple of draft picks they got, Yaya Diaby um, and Jose Ramirez. These guys look like they're going to be able to make an impact um, day one in a rotational role, uh, just being able to get after the quarterback with their pressure. Uh, Devontae Dennis, the linebacker they picked up in the fifth round, um, he's been really one of the highlights of this rookie class uh, that really kind of focused on character and work ethic. He's come down with uh, four interceptions so far, two pick sixes. And one of the biggest things, about questions, 
him was how is he in coverage? Because if you look, um, if you look at his tape, he had six, six or seven backslaps there in in pitch. And you know, speaking to his linebacker coach, he said, "Hey, he was one of our best blitzers, so we utilized him that. But when he drops back in coverage, and it's after that, you guys would be surprised. And that's been one of the biggest surprises so far of campus: his ability to drop back in coverage, diagnose. He's a perfect mixture of Levante Davis and Kevin White." Okay, last thing for me, Todd Bowles is a former Cardinals defense coordinator for Bruce Arians. He does have a losing record as a head coach with the Jets and the Buccaneers. Also, general manager Jason Light has a Cardinals background. What must the uh, Buccaneers do this season for Bowles to return next season? And is Light on the hot seat? Uh, Jason Light is nowhere near the hot seat. If anything, he's sitting on a block of ice right now. They love what Light's been able to do. They love you know the way they've built this team. As far as Todd Bowles, I know there's a lot of talk about is he on the hot seat, is he? But what people don't realize about Bowles is that when he took over this team last year, it was March 30th. Free agency has already started. Um, he had no time to put together his own his own staff or anything like that, make any changes. He kind of had to ride out the team he was given. So this year, he got his own staff in place. Uh, we've already seen we've mentioned you know Dave Canales and some of the other guys they brought in, and Skip Pete as well, and the running backs and Edwards as well. Um, linebacker coach. Uh, you can already see the difference in some of these guys as well. But this year he was he was dealt with another big blow, and that's the Tom Brady dead cap hit. So still not being able to put together a team that he's wanted to. If everything blows up and implodes, you know, um, and, and he's largely responsible for it, uh, one of the biggest knocks on him is his in-game management, right? If he can't overcome those issues, you know, you know, calling uh, timeouts in opportune times or, or missing them or um, you know, just not trusting his defense, uh, just game management overall, um, then there could be a situation where he is let go. Uh, but if they're competitive, if the games they lose are close games, if they end up with another 8-9 and nine kind of record, um, th- then I think they bring him back for another year and uh, give him another shot. But it's going to definitely certainly be interesting to see how this plays out. But, you know, the Blazers love Todd. Uh, Jason Light loves Todd. The players love Todd. Um uh, he still has command of that locker room, so he's off that. Uh, it's just some things he needs to tighten up on himself in terms of in-game management. And, uh, again, just dealing with these two off-seasons that have really kind of been unfair to our, to our head coach that usually takes over a team. JC, as always, we appreciate the time. Look forward to catching up with you down the road. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure coming on talking to you. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, and have a great rest of the day. He's J.C. Allen there from pewterreport.com. Um, I, I'm kind of also curious to know as well because Tampa Bay and the overall excitement that is surrounding the team, and from a fan perspective, you have uh, you know some history with you know winning uh, a Super Bowl. And then kind of a lull. Then Tom Brady brings some magic back to life. Now is there going to be another lull? Like, how does that all kind of come to fruition, especially as well with just where things are at with this NFC South? Yeah, I don't know. I want to add one quick thing. He mentioned Gaines. Uh, he was with the Rams. He had some monster games against the Cardinals. He's not a great player, but he was great against the Cardinals. The Cardinals were you know, putting seven guys on Aaron Donald. How will gains do when there aren't seven guys blocking Aaron Donald? We'll uh, take your calls on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060 is the number. HD Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. 
Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. As always, thanks to J.C. Allen of PewterReport.com for his time on the program. And if you missed it, you can always podcast over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS1060 app. Moving phone call time uh, to 11.15. We're kind of up against it here at this point in time. But 11.15 is your next chance to call in 602-260-1060 is the number. Uh, When you look at this Buccaneers schedule, I mean, this is definitely not a first place schedule. Uh, You have week one at the Vikings, week two versus the Bears, week three versus the Eagles, week four at the Saints in the NFC South, and then a week five bye. I mean, nothing to me really stands out as uh, being overly tricky. It's just what do you think of this Buccaneers team? Yeah, I beg to differ a little bit because they have four out of five on the road in one stretch uh, from October 26th through November the 26th. They play at Buffalo. Then they have a short week Thursday at Houston. We talked last week about, uh, I forgot what team it was, but if you have, you know, we talk about this every time we have a Thursday night game, (laughs) seemingly. That's not a good thing usually for the road team. Uh, And in this case, they're maybe not a good team, and then they have a short week. So kind of a double whammy there. So that's uh, week two of this uh, five-week stretch, uh, four out of five on the road. Then their home games against Tennessee – and then they have road games at San Francisco and then at Indianapolis. Not expecting Indianapolis to be any good, but that's like the fifth game of the four out of five on the road. So that's probably not a favorable scheduling spot for them. So that's actually the one thing that stands out schedule-wise for me. One other quick thing about Tampa Bay. Jason Light is the general manager. I was actually happy to hear JC mention that he's, there's no hot seat situation there. I think he's done a nice job there. I wonder, uh, you know, he used to be the Cardinals, I don't know if he was officially the, quote, assistant general manager uh, for Steve Keim, but I kind of wonder if uh, Michael Bidwell, um, maybe once or twice as the thought, maybe I should we should have kept Jason Light and moved on from Steve Keim earlier than we did. Uh, but I think there's plenty of Cardinals fans that would maybe at least thought that and at least one media member that has thought that more than once. Over the years, not till now. Yeah, I didn't, you know, not after last year and all the stuff going on with Steve and so forth. And we hope he's doing well health wise. But, you know, I think that he could have been out of here uh, before he was out of here for, you know, just performance reasons. You know, uh, J.C. Allen touched on this a little bit here when you were asking about Todd Bowles and his situation here and, and, you know, whether or not this is uh, kind of just a bridge year into whatever next move they're going to be starting in the rebuilding process or if this is his team, his chance to rebuild now without Tom Brady. But I'm also kind of curious as well, uh, you know, J.C. Allen had mentioned about uh, the misuse of timeouts and some game management tactics here. And I'm just curious, and we'll only know this when it happens in game, you know, the the process that goes into a self-reflection from a coaching standpoint and and how to kind of change your style or change your tactics or how do you get better at just kind of having that intrinsic, this is the moment I call this timeout. This is the moment I challenge this. This is the moment that we need to do this, this, and this, Uh, you know, I don't know if you can get better at that or if that's just kind of an inherent kind of sense of the game and sense of the team and sense of the moment. 
Well, Bowles hasn't gotten better at that because I think the, uh, most Jets fans will tell you that, that was their biggest criticism of Bowles when he was the head coach of the Jets. And, you know, I don't remember specific things from several years ago now, but there were more than an occasional time you just kind of wondered, what the hell are they doing here? And what is he doing specifically at the end of games? And that happened again last year in uh, – you know, some of the games that Tampa Bay had a chance to win, and you know, for them, that made a difference. I find it interesting because as a defensive coordinator, you have certain intrinsic, uh, I'm going to call this play at this moment, and, and this is kind of when we're going to send the house, and this is when we're going to do this with kind of ebbs and flows and feel of the game. It's just interesting that he's such success he's had at a defensive coordinator position, that same yeah. intrinsic flow and feel of the game hasn't uh, at least translated as well to the head coaching position. I agree. I think that there's, I think there's some evidence out there, maybe not complete evidence and closed door evidence yet, that he's another guy that's a really good coordinator. And when he's got opportunities, in his case, twice to be a head coach, he, it hasn't worked out for whatever reason. Some numbers to win the NFC South, the Saints plus 130. Uh, they'll be previewed later on in the week. The Falcons plus 210, the Panthers plus 360, the Buccaneers plus 750. Uh, as he mentioned, Mike Evans seems to be bouncing around, having having a good feel for training camp this year. We'll see if it translates into uh, the uh, actual games. Over-under numbers for Mike Evans are 875 and a half receiving yards, minus 112, and Chris Godwin as well for him over 800 and a half yards over under sitting at minus 112 i'll just add one thing i think that you know back to the saints i think they have the easiest schedule in the nfl let alone in this division wow and you're talking about the nfc south as well that would be part of the easy schedule <laughs> Ooh, okay interesting That's well six, six games right there yeah you're teasing things along for later in the week. Nicely done. Thank you very much. That wasn't my intent because I'm not that smart, but thanks for the credit. We'll get into the wrap-up of the PGA Tour. The Wyndham Championship has been concluded. We have a champion. We have the FedEx Cup Final 70 uh, set in stone for this week's FedEx St. Jude Championship. We'll dive into it next right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports in the Extra Point. social information about KDUS AM 1060, try KDUS1060.com at KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUS AM 1060. Wrapping up hour number one on this Monday, August 7th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. The PGA Tour regular season has concluded. The Wyndham Championship in the books. 
It was a Lucas Glover two-shot win over Russell Hen- Henley, the Wyndham Whisperer, as well as Bien Hun on. Uh, Lucas Glover, though, talk about playing yourself into the FedEx Cup uh, championship race. Lucas Glover started the week 112th in the FedEx Cup's points list, and he shot himself up to 49th. So he will be playing this week in the first FedEx Cup playoff event, which is the St. Jude Championship from TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee. But the big names that we were following heading into the week as to whether or not they could propel themselves into the top 70, Adam Scott, he was on the outside looking in for the FedEx Cup. He finished tied for 7th, minus 12 for the week. That moved him from 81st to 72nd. So he will not be teeing it up for the FedEx Cup playoffs, which ends for him a 16-year-in-a-row streak of making it to the FedEx Cup. I understand there is a bit of a difference, though, because the FedEx Cup prior to this year used to be the top 125 advancing. Now it's the top 70. Justin Thomas, he also finished... uh, in a tie for 12th, he had a chance to chip in on the last hole, which would have moved him along. He hit the flagstick, lipped out, uh, and he is now on the outside looking in. He started the week 79th, and he moved to 71st, so he missed that position by one. As it is for the FedEx Cup uh, playoffs underway, St. Jude Championship this week, as I previously mentioned, from TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee. If you'll remember last year, event will Zalatoris top Sepp Straka in a playoff for his first PGA Tour win and you thought to yourself here we go will Zalatoris finally getting it done and then withdrawing the following week with a back injury some back surgeries later He's had to withdraw yet again and take the rest of this year off. So hopefully Will Zalatoris is on the mend and he can get back to playing some good golf that uh, we last saw him play uh, here on the PGA Tour. Hour number two is coming up on the other side of the break. We dive into the Arizona Cardinals red and white practice, some more NFL discussion, and your phone calls at 1115-602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the show around 1115. But hour number two is straight ahead. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. 